Nuclear. Now is it Crick or Creek? Coyote or Coyote? Sometimes I say library. Welcome to You're Saying It Wrong. I'm Fletcher Powell, and each episode we turn to the people who literally wrote the book on this, sister and brother team Kathy and Ross Petrus, and we'll dive into what we get wrong and sometimes what we get right when we try to speak this weird English language. We're going to just pick up where we were a couple of weeks ago with those flat doodle words, those unnecessary redundant words people use that sort of get on the nerves of other people. But Kathy, a little while back, we began an episode with you publicly calling out Ross for a mistake he made. Ross, I get the idea that you want to return the favor. This was a thrill. Well, Kathy and I both being uh, obviously siblings, we both enjoy catching each other in errors. And I think our basic point is that Everyone makes errors in grammar, and speech, and pronunciation all the time, and we're not—we're far from perfect. However, in our sibling duo, I'd like to say I think Ross makes them a little more often than I. I was just—Kathy <laughs> cut in, and I was just about to say the opposite. I think Kathy does. However, let's see if Fletcher is going to make this mistake, and I was actually stunned when Kathy made this mistake. I mean, I literally almost fell onto the floor, or figuratively, perhaps. Um. This is a word Kathy said very confidently. No one ever really, no one ever uses this word, and I'm really sort of surprised. And then she and she pronounced the word, and I said I'm not surprised because I've never heard it pronounced like that. Now this word means persisting tirelessly, and I'm going to spell it, and I want to see how Fletcher pronounces it, and see if he joins Kathy or joins me. Yeah. Okay. I n d e. F-A-T-I-G-A-B-L-E. Oh, indefatigable. Exactly. (laughs) Or, as we modern types say, (laughs) indefatigable. Indefatigable. You know, that makes a lot of sense, though. I'm sure I've heard someone else say that before in my life. And I think it's probably even caused me to stop and think, wait, am I saying it wrong? Uh Well, I, I think it's a horrible word to pronounce as either way yeah 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 <laughs> but I, I looked it up after kathy you know said that i looked it up and i did not find uh, like i heard it on youglish and all those places i did not find it pronounced as kathy did <laughs> however kathy found it pronounced that way by someone very close to her my husband yes <laughs> <laughs> well i i can't i was trying to defend myself <laughs> And I love him <laughs> for backing me up because he said the same thing I did. He said, "Yeah, it's indefatigable." I was like, "Yeah, that's what I thought." <laughs> well, live and I learn. Think, I think I think you're allowed to say whatever you want inside the walls of your own home. Yeah. Yes. But I will exactly. never say it in public again. <laughs> this is the last time that passes my lips. <laughs> Well, now I guess we're going to just jump right into where we were uh, last time around and pick back up with those flat doodle words. And I know you guys have gotten a lot of letters, probably from our last podcast, but also from some articles that you wrote with people talking about their own uh, flat doodle words that that bother them. Or pet peeves on like redundancy. Yeah. The first letter we got um, referred to something referred. It was very it's very apropos was global pandemic. Mm-hmm. And the person wrote in and said, this is driving me. I'm sorry, it was a tweet, Ross. Oh, tweet. Thank you. Thank you for the specificity, Catherine. <laughs> I'm indefatigable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you are. 
Uh, and she said, this has been driving me crazy for a number of years. And uh, we, we let's all weigh in on this. What do you guys think? So, yeah, it, it's obviously redundant. A, a pandemic is essentially global. But I think it probably bothered me a little bit at the beginning of all of this. And it's bothered me less and less as time has gone on. I'll tell you what's personally bothered me more is when people keep saying the coronavirus pandemic just because I don't really think we need to be specific about which pandemic we're talking about right now. <laughs> uh, we, we've been talking about it so often that I think I think we've got the picture. But um, I don't know. Kathy, do you, does that one bother you? It, do, it actually doesn't bother me much. Because I, I, to me, I think it's, it's an emphasizer, the global. I mean, of course, yes, pan means all. Um, and so it's a, it's a, a pandemic is an epidemic over. A, but that one thing is, wait a second. If a pandemic means an epidemic over a large area, it doesn't necessarily mean it's around the world. It could be, couldn't it? A pandemic could be a, 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 a continental pandemic, right? Um, I think it, it, it tends to mean, we, we wrote that article years ago before the pandemic even occurred on uh, epidemic, endemic, Oh, it was pandemic. one of our books, yeah. Yeah, and I, I think Kathy is correct. I'm not sure one continent would constitute a pandemic, perhaps two or three. But I mean, here we go into these weird, you know, distinctions uh, that I think, I think in this case, it's an emphasizer, a global pandemic. It's also perhaps I'm not sure it's been found everywhere. I mean, in the sense of pandemic means upon all the people and obviously everyone doesn't have it. So I don't really it doesn't bother me in the least, actually. I think there's an actual definition from WHO or maybe the CDC about what an actual what a pandemic actually is the oed says over a very large area yeah so in that sense what kathy is saying is completely correct it's not yeah. um the, who, who doesn't have a formal definition okay okay now going back to this woman who who tweeted us and said it drives her crazy i'm just looking at something and the uh international epidemiology association's dictionary of epidemiology defines, which is hard to say very quickly, but I just did, mm -hmm. defines did a, a pandemic as an epidemic occurring worldwide. Yes. Okay. So, okay, Pan-American Health Association, a pandemic is basically a global epidemic. Uh, and the uh, WebMD, I just picked on that too, said the same thing. It's. But, uh, but you did see another definition that said over a large area. Oxford English Dictionary. Right. And so it is a little bit fuzzy. I mean, there isn't just a... Uh, obviously pan of course means all right mm -hmm. but um but maybe it's not the worst thing you know last time around we talked about depreciate in value something that sort of gave a little bit of a context clue for maybe somebody who doesn't necessarily know exactly what depreciate means and maybe not mm -hmm. everybody knows what that pan prefix means and maybe mm -hmm. saying global pandemic does tell you that that it's that it's everywhere and this is also going to sound a little nuts but there's something a little euphonious about global pandemic i kind of like how it sounds i mean i know it's a bad thing <laughs> but if there's it's sort of music isn't it global pandemic i will say mm -hmm. this when i've been reading news copy on the air i have deleted the word global before pandemic i've only said pandemic although can i throw this out right now i'm looking at dan epstein spokesman for pan american health organization he said a pandemic is basically a global epidemic. Okay, so we're, we're, we're now saying it's, it's redundant. But then he adds this, an epidemic that spreads to more than one continent. So we're, I mean, talk about fuzzy. Yeah. So we have, is it like two continents or is it five or six? How many continents? Seven continents in the world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, so it is kind of fuzzy. I do understand maybe people getting a little 
perturbed by that. Uh, you know, it, it's it's something that sort of sticks out. You know, once it's there, you can't forget it. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, it seems fuzzy enough to me that it shouldn't really be that big a deal. But I think, Fletcher, you're correct. I think maybe I would say global pandemic over a beer, but I'm, I think I'd probably, if I were doing it on air or formally, I think I would say pandemic. I think yeah. that's probably the key. Yeah. The next one is one actually a number of people wrote about. The one tweet we had said, add, definitely add this to your list. The phrase used on commercial airline flights all day, every day. It's like when they go, now, if Dallas is your final destination, you know, deplane, blah, 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 blah. So final destination. Oh, because I understand why airlines would be saying it, because people are taking connecting flights and so on. Uh, yeah, it's a bit much. I don't. Uh, they they say so many awful things on airlines anyway. <laughs> didn't didn't um, uh, George Carlin have a whole big thing about yes, that? Yes, he did. He yeah. did. <laughs> oh, I think it was that destination. Or was it pre? Oh it yeah, was, it was. Well, it was, it was definitely the pre-boarding and and all yeah, of that. Which, yeah, yeah. Uh, that one doesn't bother me at all. I, I mean, ultimately, there's only one destination we're all going to, which is the final destination, which is death. <laughs> That's a little right. existential, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. Paging Sartre. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I think there are a lot of, like, sub-destinations. It doesn't, it doesn't bother me. Yeah, it doesn't bother me either, actually, because we were just on a plane to San Francisco and back again, a one-day one day there and back again trip. And, and to me, you heard final destination... kind of makes sense because it's like like when we got off back here in seattle they said like if seattle's your final destination blah 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 otherwise stay on the plane type of thing so yeah i mean i i think it makes sense in a plane and i agree with fletcher there are much much worse uh things said (laughs) on planes (laughs) (laughs) clearly though it does bother a lot of people you said you got quite a few letters about that one quite a few yeah that which surprised us I think it's also really easy to get irritable when you're on a plane anyway, and so maybe yeah. especially when you're flying language, coach. <laughs> little language problems might uh, might make you even more angrier than normal. Okay, moving right along, another one that Kathy and I have had arguments about, despite the technical definition. I'm going to read to you a line from the chief marketing officer officer for Little Caesars. Detroit-style deep-dish pizza is one of the most unique and delicious pizza styles, says Jeff Klein, chief marketing officer for Little Caesars. Does anything bother you there? Yeah, I admit that this one bothers me, and maybe because I had it drilled into my head throughout my entire life. But, yeah, the most unique Mm -hmm. uh, is if something's unique, then it's one of a kind, and there is no other, there's no qualifier to that. I don't know exactly what I would say instead of most unique in that case, though. Is there anything that really gets the idea across in the same way? I mean, I, I don't like it. Let me let me just be clear about that. Mm-hmm. But I do understand its utility. Well said. This is where, okay, I agree with the latter part. because This is where I'm slightly barbaric because I don't really mind most unique. I mean, I know unique means unlike anything else. Okay, that's that's clear. So you can't have a gradation of uniqueness, theoretically. But when I did a search online, I found something that was something like 10 of the most unique cowboy movies and Paris's most unique walking tours. Those were the two I made note of. And that kind of makes sense to me because it's like you're saying these are all unique walking tours. They're all there's no other walking tour like it. But this one is even weirder than the others. You know what I mean? They're special. It seems like it's just an intensifier. OK, I, what Merriam-Webster um, lists uh, as the third definition of unique unusual and therefore like they have a jd salinger 
who incidentally, uh, I guess I'm one of the only people in the world who really didn't particularly like anything beyond uh, his first. But anyway, if we were fairly unique, he has, um, what's his face saying that? Holy fairly unique. Field. Yeah. I, 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 so I guess, I mean, it, it technically now is used, I mean, Merriam-Webster reflects what's being used, and a lot of people, as Kathy just pointed out, do use unique as sort of a, a kind of unusual, Weird and distinct. wonderful to me, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, and that's the thing, that's why I say I don't exactly know what word I would use otherwise, because unusual doesn't quite work in the same way. It It, it gives you a different feel from what most unique or fairly unique gives you like you said weird and wonderful like those two things together are are, are part of are part of what unique seems to mean now mm-hmm. i think so so that's where i'd give it a pass I, i'm gonna give it a reluctant pass I, it, <laughs> it still grates on me when i hear it i understand what you all are saying and i think you're correct in what you're saying but i, I still like unique being meaning unique that's that's I'm I'm a lot closer to you on that, Ross. I really am. But I, like I said, I I don't exactly know what I could use to get across the exact same idea that this this phrase that I don't like is getting across. I I just I don't know what I would say exactly. Do you want a little tiny bit of uh, grammatical history here? Absolutely. These used to uh, unique was, uh, I guess, like a hundred two hundred years ago was called, and it probably still is, but was determined to be a, called an absolute adjective and an absolute adjective is something that can never be modified unique was on the i think there was a guy uh, who wrote i think miriam webster mentions the philosophical grammar of the english language from 1838 and he gave a list of adjectives which a bit of no variation of state in other words you can't modify them mm-hmm. and we basically now modify most of them he said you cannot modify square dead entire false and obvious Yet we now modify all of them. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know, <laughs> which reminds me of the scene in a princess or the Princess Bride where they're talking about whether he's mostly dead. He's dead. He can't talk. Look who knows so much, huh? Well, it just so happens that your friend here is only mostly dead. There's a big difference between mostly dead and all dead. Please open his mouth. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. Exactly. <laughs> But we do have, in a, in a non-humorous sense, we do have nearly dead, you know? Yes, that's true. So so it's okay. <laughs> so I guess, I guess I'm guess i basically saying, you know, I modify all of the others, and I should have no problem modifying unique, but I do. I can't help it. Uh, it's interesting, though. I just did find in the OED, uh, they do now say an extended use, uh, uncommon, unusual, and remarkable. Mm-hmm. So if, if even the OED is allowing this, I think that I'm fine. Thank you very much. We're giving up. We're <laughs> yes. giving up. White flag time, boys. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> okay, the next one is, 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 is it's, uh, this is here just because it's like most unique. Um, past history, past memories, past records, every, the, all those past blank. Hmm. Mm-hmm. What do you think of that? The sentence we have right here is just from an old book that says, The Great Canadian Northwest. It's past history, present condition, and glorious prospects. Heck of a title. I can't say I've ever thought about this one before. Mm-hmm. It, it jumps out the same way these others do in that, I, like I said before, if, it, if you notice it, I can see how you would keep noticing it. Yeah. yeah. Oddly enough, this one bothers me more than most unique. Mm-hmm. 
because past history to me just sounds it's it's so wholly redundant but i can see it in this particular title we have here past history versus present condition someone's being you know a little parallel yeah. construction Glor and glorious future glorious prospects <laughs> <laughs> well, right. can't forget the canadian northwest glorious future can we <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> good god no I, eh. the next one does bother me and i don't know how you guys feel pre-plan oh that was the tweet the guy was going crazy about it yeah he said i wish your list would have included pre-planning versus planning it seems that everyone nowadays uses pre-planning i looked up the definition of pre-planning and it could have been the definition for planning we also got an uh, email about it too that was a yeah. that was a double barrel <laughs> yes. i don't know that i've ever really heard this but it sounds like one of those business jargony things that's i'm curious yeah I just, I, in a quick glance, one thing I found, you can pre-plan your funeral, <laughs> which is uh, it's the only way to do it. <laughs> and that was the George Carlin rant. It was on pre-planning because he had pre-planning, pre-heating, pre-boarding, pre-recorded, and pre-existing. And he said they're superfluous. What does it mean to pre-board? You get on before you get on. So therefore, by using the same thing, what does it mean to pre-plan? You plan before you plan? I'm going to add, Merriam-Webster's has their dictionary, as, uh, excuse me, their definition is to plan in advance, which doesn't that seem sort of redundant? I mean, how yeah. you can't plan yeah. not in advance, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Unless we're getting into time travel or something, yeah. What about our final destination? I'm going to say this one bothers me now, now that I know it exists. I'm, I probably knew it before, but I don't remember really hearing this too much, but it's kind of it's kind of gross to me. I agree completely. I, I cannot abide it. I, I think, I, I think right. we're all on that one. Interestingly <laughs> enough, the first known use of it was in 1847. So this is not, I mean, I would have thought it's completely like a corporate, yeah, jargon. Yeah, like I said, yeah, okay. So I was wrong, yeah. Yeah, but I, but who knows? I mean, I, I suspect that it's it's much more widely used now. But now it's 1847. This is in the OED. It's from a book called Edward Manning. And it said, he knew she would look with haughty repugnance upon the very idea of his pre-planning advantages from her possible i have i don't even know what this means no <laughs> i hate the word they say it's mainly british i hear it a lot here actually yeah pre-planning i do see a fair amount i think it's horrible but i do see it yeah here 1924 scientific monthly a surprising degree of accuracy accuracy excuse me and completeness of returns is secured by means of careful pre-planning yeah i that's like that's absurd <laughs> Here's one, though. Listen to this guy here. This person's defending it. Pre-planning is a term that is used frequently in software development teams. We always get the software development guys saying, well, you can actually use this, that work based on agile methodology. Forget the meaning of that. In this methodology, teams have planning meetings every two weeks to plan the upcoming two weeks. <laughs> These meetings are called planning meetings. <laughs> But to reduce the time of planning meetings, one or two days before planning, a meeting is held to discuss the details of topics that are to be decided on in the planning meetings. This is, the latter is called pre-planning meeting. Okay, wait a second though, that's slightly different. The, the, the prefix is for planning meeting as a compound noun. It's well not, it's not pre-planning, it's, it's, it's a pre-planning meeting. Brilliant, I think you're yep. correct, Thank yes. You. <laughs> That's actually a really good point. Yeah, I agree with you. So pre-planning bad. Okay. Which we should 
postpone until later. <laughs> uh, yeah, Ross teased that one at the end of the last episode. Yes. Uh, of course, when you're postponing something, it's... Uh, have we talked about preponing before? We did once. I love that word. Yeah. Tell us Tell us again, because that that's an actual word. Yes. It's, it's used mostly in India. And as a matter of fact, I was talking about our podcast, I guess, a couple of years ago. And... Um, uh, a woman there who was from India, um, friend of a friend, said, have you mentioned prepone? And I had not heard it until the, she mentioned it. And then I looked it up and it's everywhere in India. And I think it's very useful. Postpone means to, you know, put it off till later. Prepone means to do it earlier. So like you prepone a meeting. Hey, look, let's prepone our meeting. In other words, let's have it earlier than we planned. Right. I like it. I, I did read, which is it's just interesting, um, that... It's mainly used, as you said, in India. And then one guy was saying, I hear it all the time here in the United States in software development again. Here we go. Here we go again. But he says he's hearing it from his colleagues that are from India. So maybe <laughs> it will spread. I think it's a very useful word. It also, I mean, fits etymologically, too. Po you know, Latin, post or pre, and then ponere, to put or, you know, whatever. So it's, I think it's great. But as for postpone until later, I, I don't really... Ugh. Like, I, I don't, you don't need it. That's just some extra work to do to say those words, right? That Why yes. would anybody even say that? I don't know why they would, but they do. Um, Ross found it um, when we were writing, you know, where we came up with this one. He found it in a lot of philosophy books, oddly enough. Wow. Yeah, which I can't understand why. I mean, let's say, I mean, why a somebody waxing philosophical would, would, are they just like sort of like throwing and chucking in words to be like needy? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, as a former philosophy major, I left it, <laughs> became a writer instead. <laughs> so I don't know why they use it. But yeah, I don't get it. Just uh, why? 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 Well, going forward, what do you guys think of going forward? <laughs> I, I, I can see that one being annoying just because it's it's kind of one of those overused phrases like um i don't know put a pin in it or yeah it's another jargony that? one right but but in terms of being redundant i mean you could be going in a lot of different directions couldn't you yeah in fairness this was a tweet and she said that the two phrases that frost her which i, I, I love I that love i that love term. that are one, any use of unpacking a concept, and two, going forward. So there's definitely a, a business jargony feel yeah, to her, her pet peeves yeah. here. There was a, there's a, a, a website, they're under construction again, they're reconstruction, actually, to be redundant, not redundant, called the Institution of Silly and Meaningless Sayings. And they've collected... Oh, I love that. <laughs> I know. And they've collected uh, uh, examples of, of jargony words. And with going forward, they had a bunch that really I liked, which is... I'll read him. He's coming back to help going forward. <laughs> we cannot back down going forward. Problems for English England's backs going forward. I love that. <laughs> it is. I, I guess it is a little silly. This one doesn't bother me personally that much. And we're leaving aside redundancies here now, uh, at least for this this particular case, because that's not really the issue here. Uh, it doesn't it doesn't bother me that much. I mean, you could say in the future, but I don't really have a problem with going forward meaning from this point on it whatever it's just another phrase it doesn't bother me personally that much i i find it irritating because of the businessy sort of thing i think that frankly the her unpacking a concept is even more irritating oh yeah yeah now that does frost me but yeah. going forward i could live with i mean I, I, i'd rather not hear it but okay you know fine going forward yeah 
Yeah, okay, a couple of quickies now. Uh, this one is obvious, and I, it always bothers me. Free gift. <laughs> well, is anything ever free, though? <laughs> <laughs> We're waxing philosophical. <laughs> Maybe we should postpone that until later. <laughs> uh, this sounds like um, something that advertisers would use to make it sound even more exciting than it already is. Yeah. I, I, I'm going to just break in here and be do the boring linguistic things. I think we've mentioned it before that what we're talking about, um, in, especially in the case of like a free gift, is, is technically called a semantic pleonasm. Which is pleonasm. Sorry, Ross. I I don't know, actually. I'm I'm saying the Greek. I just realized that. I have no idea. So go on. But it's it's unnecessary repetition of an idea or description. It's 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 usually called a redundancy, but it's like it's it's a semantic pleonasm. If we want to like be fancy Mm -hmm. when we say free gift. In Greek, it means too much or excess. So, yeah. And a free gift is a little too much. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Speak for yourself. (laughs) That reminds me a little bit of. Uh, I got an email from one of our listeners, uh, Doug, and he mentioned all new, like when he's watching TV and there's an advertisement for an all new episode and how that that all on there bothers him a little bit. I mean, you could theoretically make up a reason why they would say all new rather than new. But really, the answer is that it's the same thing as free gift. They're just trying to pump up, you know, how exciting this thing is. By using an extra word that doesn't need to be there. Yeah, it's yeah. an intensifier, it's called. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all new. It, it is irritating slightly. Yeah, I can see where it would grade a little bit. But it's, it actually, it's so funny. All new to me sounds all old in a funny way. It sounds sort of like 50s advertising, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All new brighteners in this laundry detergent type of thing. That reminds me, did, have you have you ever seen um, uh, Defending Your Life, Fletcher? Yeah, sure, definitely. Albert Brooks. And do you remember there's a scene in there with the guy who has, I think, 20 days in the, uh, you know, netherworld. And he says he invented, he asks, um, he said, you know, you ever see those signs that say all nude? Because I invented that concept. They used to say nude. I invented all nude. I love it. <laughs> I love that too. Oh. I just want to say these we got a couple of tweets about and in the past and we hadn't this is a great place to chuck them in. We've gotten a couple of emails about when we people with their pet peeves and it's two suffixes that you started not well not suffixes they're just one's a suffix one's not whatever that you started seeing a lot and I think they started really in the 90s with situation when you add situation to everything. Yeah, we've we we have we have talked about that one before. And then that adding wise was the other one. You tack on the suffix wise. You say something wise. Like grammar wise, right now we're talking. Like grammar wise, what do you think about wise? Yeah, uh, it it's quicker than saying in terms of, in terms of grammar. Um, uh, I can see why it would be annoying to people a little bit, but it, it has a little bit of use. Mm-hmm. Speaking of speaking of old movies, has anyone ever seen The Apartment? Oh, sure, yeah. Because fi- that has all of those, grammar wise. Uh-huh. Remember that? They always make a big thing about that. I guess it was it probably became really popular in the fifties, given the fact when was that movie made? Nineteen sixty. Sixty. Yep. Sixty. So therefore it was therefore it was produced in the fifty nine. So therefore it probably was a big thing in the beginning of the fifties, I think. Yeah. That doesn't bother me either particularly. It bothers Kathy. Though. It bothers me. It drives me insane. It's one of, I don't Does know it? why. It really drives me insane. 
that and situation, the two of them are like two of my pet peeves. Situation, I hate. I agree with you on situation completely. Give an example of that in case people haven't uh, listened to all of our episodes, which they should have by now. <laughs> they should have listened at least once and and refute them <laughs> positively. <laughs> I might add. <laughs> Uh, situation we had an example from yahoo finance it said th- it was a headline things to do when a market crash like situation emerges right that is horrible yeah. that is a horrible headline my that's, personal that's favorite really, really was bad. and i think we put it in an article was um it was on the weather channel it was be prepared for a strong wind situation <laughs> <laughs> batten down the hatches <laughs> we, we've got a strong wind situation coming right. var she blows <laughs> <laughs> summarize briefly was another one that a few people complained about summarize briefly and brief summary that one that doesn't really bother because you could have a long summary yeah yeah I, I agree with you actually on that somebody mentioned atm machine and that made me think of vin number that one uh, you know like dc comics i mean technically dc is detective comics yeah that's true I didn't but, know that. Know, I don't know. They don't really bother me that much because a lot of times the acronym sort of fades. Uh, do you know what the uh, ATM machine is called, though, or VIN number, PIN number, and all those? No, those what's are that? Called, they're called redundant acronym syndromes. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> cool. I know. This episode of You're Saying It Wrong has been produced by me, Fletcher Powell, help from Beth Golay and Luann Stevens in the studios of KMUW in Wichita, Kansas. Kathy Petrus records from her home in Seattle, Washington, Ross Petrus from his home in Toronto, Ontario. If you have a question for Kathy and Ross, you can tweet it at us. We're at YSIWpod. Email them at kandrpetrus at gmail.com or email me at powell at kmuw.org. And if you like what we're doing, leave us a rating or even a review at Apple Podcasts. Those reviews help us. They're how we get more people to find us. Kathy and Ross's book, You're Saying It Wrong, was published by 10 Speed Press. You can find that and much of their other work pretty much anywhere you get books. We recommend your local independent bookstore. And, of course, Kathy and Ross are always up to something. You can check out their other work through their website, kandrpetras.com. That's K-A-N-D-R-P-E-T-R-A-S dot com. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back in two weeks.